How many of you like a good fight? You guys are laying a good fight? You guys like a good fight? Yeah. You ever notice the, uh, the mark of a wrestler? Those ears. What happened to their ears? Why do their ears get that way? You ever notice that? Their ears are all messed up. Because they've been lying on the mat and they've been, you know, beating each other up. And, and uh, they come out with these ears. You can just tell. You can tell who's the wrestlers and who the ones that, that aren't. Some people like a good fight. You know, we, we like to fight a, a lot of things. And sometimes we spend our energy fighting things that don't matter. And we're, we're battling stuff that's just very temporal. People fight for parking spots. You ever been there? Come well, on, it's confession time. Uh, the person gets there and you're driving and all of a sudden, you know, they got your spot and you're a little upset. And you let them know. Then you tell them you're a Christian. Right? You witness to them and you get in that little thing, you know. We get, into, we get into these fights. We fight about things that just don't. We can get that with our kids. They love to argue and fight about things. And, and you say, well, what are we arguing about? I mean, what's, I mean, this makes no sense. Why are we fighting over this? But, but we, we fight. We like to fight. How many of you like to fight for what you believe? That's a, that's a question for today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name a couple of colleges. I want you to tell me what they have in common. Harvard and Yale. Anybody know what they have in common? Ivy, Ivy Lee. They were both seminaries at one point. They were training ministers. In fact, the oldest school is what? Harvard. Started by John Harvard, who had a burden to train ministers to preach the gospel. And now, you look at the school, they have no gospel they have no Christ, no Savior, no heaven, no hell, none of the Bible, nothing of that. They don't believe in any of this stuff. Isn't that amazing? How did it go from that to this? It said over the 18th century, it gradually secularized. That people got in there and they started to teach things and they forgot to fight about what matters. You know, last week we had a fun time because we looked at Jude 1 and 2 and I want you to, to look at that and just the, the wonderful things that we talked about in Jude 1 and 2 and I, and I hope they really encouraged your heart last week as we know the salvation that we have, that we're called by God. What a, what a wonderful thought that, that God would call us and that we would respond to that and He woos us and wins us. That's an amazing God that we have. And we talked about how we're beloved in God we could never earn that love. He'll never love us more or never love us less. He, he loves us and that's going to stay with us. And we talked about how we're kept by Jesus Christ and that even though our hearts are prone to wander and, and we're weak, we're kept by Jesus Christ. Those are wonderful things to talk about. We get excited about those things. And I want you to notice verse 3, how, how Jude, he, he addresses them and how he really wanted to talk to them about something, but he had to change his mind here. Notice this in verse 3 here. He says, Beloved, how he loves them. This, this talks to somebody who is close to you. Beloved, he, he loves them. He says, I wanted to make, I was making every effort to write to you about our what? Common salvation. Now, now, don't miss this. 
he, he wanted to write. He was all excited about writing a letter. And we don't know if he started writing it or if he finished writing it or, or did something else. But he, he wanted to write a letter. He was excited about writing a letter. And he wanted to talk about our common salvation. Here's what's amazing. We are different in so many ways. Some of you are tall and handsome. That bothers me. <laughs> All right? I've never gotten there. My, my goal was to hit 5'7 one day. I never made it. All right? God stopped me at 5'6. And I don't think I'm going to make it now. You just get shorter as you get older. Have you noticed that? I don't know why that is. But anyway, you know, you guys, some of you are tall and handsome. Some of you I can relate to have a very muscular body. Amen? <laughs> Not one amen here. Not even for my wife. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but we're different. Some of you are from who? How many of you are from the West? The West here. West, West. All right? A few of you. How many of you are from the East? Amen? Amen. Look at these people. I love you. Yeah, Ray, you're not from the East. You're from the Midwest. Ray, Ray, the Midwest there. How many of you are from the, the, the God-forsaken Midwest? All right? Wow. Look at that. Holy cow. Wow. You're all different. Isn't that amazing? Let's stay here all day and talk about how different we are. Or maybe we can look at the Bible and see what we have in common. Those things are great to talk about. You know what we have in common? Are you ready for this? We're all sinners. Amen? Amen. All of us. We're born sinners. It's not because we had to be taught to sin. We sin. We're all in the need of a Savior. And we all have Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins, was buried, and He rose again. And when we put our faith in Him alone, for salvation alone, we are saved. And we have something in common. Are you ready for this? We have been saved from the very penalty of sin. We will never be judged for our sin. He paid the condemnation for our sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are being saved right now from the very power of sin by God's grace. And one day, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Praise God. We're going to be in heaven, and we're not going to have to deal with sin anymore. But here's what's exciting. He says, I wanted to write to you about that exciting stuff, about our, our common salvation, what we share in Jesus Christ the moment we put our faith in Christ. But I had to change gears. I had to, I had to change the course. I felt the necessity. Notice this here in verse 3. I felt pressure upon me. The Holy Spirit was, was working and I, I felt this pressure. I got I to gotta write to you because there's a danger out there. There's a danger out there in this world. It was back then and it's still now. That we're going to see in verse 4, these people come in with their WSDs. That's a new military word. You guys know that one? <laughs> Your WSDs, you know what that is? Uh, Walt, did you train him right? Did I tell him what that is? The w, yeah, the, the weapons of spiritual destruction. They're coming in with their WSDs. And they're destroying churches. They're destroying seminaries. They're destroying Christians. They're destroying people. And he says, I felt this, this necessity upon me, this, this pressure upon me in verse 3. I want to write to you and I don't want to come and preach to you. Here's what he's saying. This is beautiful. I write to you appealing to you. 
I want to come alongside you and encourage you. And I pray that this is, encourages you this morning. I, I, I want to come alongside you and encourage you and, and exhort you, appeal to you. We can say it this way. Get down on our knees and beg you. I'm begging you. He starts this and says, here's what I want you to do. Notice this in verse 3. I felt this pressure upon me to, to beg you to do what? To contend earnestly for the faith. Here's what's amazing. This word, contend earnestly, is only found here in the Greek, this compound word. It's a compound word where the simplest word means to agonize. It literally means to wrestle, to get into a fight. How about that? He's encouraging you to get into a fight. Now, let me just tell you something. Someone once said something beautiful. He said, a fight is right when, the, when, the, when it's right to fight. Now, let me get it right here this way. Let me get it this way. All right, here it is. It's right to fight when the fight is right. There it is. So when is it right to fight? When the fight is right. So pick your battle. What do we need to be agonizing about? See, some people don't understand that the Christian life is an agony. It's a struggle. It is hard. It is not easy. You say, what's a struggle in the Christian life? I want to show you a couple of verses here before I tell you what he tells us to fight about. Go with me, if you can, to Romans. <clears throat> Romans 15 for a moment. <clears throat> Romans 15, excuse me. Verse 30. I want to show you a couple of things here in your Bible that the Bible tells us is a struggle, a fight. Notice this in verse 30. He says this, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to, what's the next word? Agony. Strain. Agonize is the Greek word. He says here in verse 30, I want you to agonize with me in your prayers to God for me. It is not easy to pray to God. People say, oh, it's so easy. Just, just talk to God and pray to God. No, it's a spiritual agony. It is hard to talk to God. It is hard to agonize to God. And he says here, I want you to agonize with me. I want you to, to go before God and agonize with me for my ministry. And he's going to mention a few things he wants him to agonize for. What a wonderful prayer. But it's not easy. You know what else is not easy? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. It's not easy to pray. Look what else it's not easy to do. Colossians chapter 1, somewhere in our Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. He's talking about in verse 28 how he proclaims Christ and he's, he's, he's ministering and discipling people so that he can present people mature in Christ. And, and look at verse 29. He says this. He says, for this purpose I also labor. And what's the next word? Agony. It's in agony. To serve God. It's hard to serve God. It is hard to minister to people. It is hard to pour your life out into people. It is hard to disciple people. It is hard to be with people. And here's what he's saying. Here's what's amazing. 
He says, I agonize not by my own strength. I agonize according to his power, which mightily works within me. Praise God for that part. So it's an, ag it's an agony to pray. It's an agony to serve God. You want to know what else is an agony? Are you ready for this? You ain't going to believe this. Turn with me to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This blew me away when I was studying this. That word agon, agony in the Greek. He says, therefore... Hebrews 12, verse 1, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the what? Put your little underline under that word. That's the word for agony. The Christian life is an agony. It's hard. How contrary to those who tell you, come to Jesus and your life will be easier. Your marriage will be better. Your health will be better. Your bank account will be better. Let me just tell you, if you think your life is hard now, come to Jesus and it's about to get harder. Anybody want to come? Amen. Should we have an invitation right now? <laughs> Sing the song, play the piano. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You coming down? No, we want it to be easy. We want life to be easy. We want to avoid the struggle. But we don't understand that the Christian life is a struggle. And we struggle by the very power of God. And we, and, and, and we pray struggling. And we, we serve struggling. And we live struggling. And now, going back to Jude, he's saying this. I am coming next to you. I am begging you on my, on my knees. I'm, I'm appealing to you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to struggle. And here's how you're going to struggle. I want you to earnestly struggle. Get on that mat with that person. I want you to win here. Here's what you need to struggle for. Verse 3, don't miss this. We need to struggle and earnestly struggle for what? For the next two words, very important. The faith. The faith. He is not talking about our personal faith in Jesus Christ, as wonderful as that is. He is talking about the truths embodied in the gospel. And the person and work of Jesus Christ. There are things that are non-negotiable. That have been signed, sealed, and delivered. That we don't debate about, but we, we, we do defend. And what he says here in this verse is, I'm coming alongside you and I want you to earnestly struggle for the faith, for the truths of the gospel, for our common salvation, for the person and work of Jesus Christ, for the teaching of the apostles that they brought down to us and delivered to us. When did they, look at this here, what it says in verse 3. It was delivered once for all, handed down. Delivered, signed, sealed, done. You can imagine it this way. The Amazon driver has come, put the package, took the picture. It's done. It's there. Now here's the problem. A lot of people aren't, aren't happy with that. They want to be editors of God's word. 
They don't want to be deliverers of God's word. There's a difference. I'm, uh, I used to work uh, five years in FedEx. And I used to do deliveries. And you know what I did? This is a very hard job. You know what I had to do? I had to pick up a box. I had to put the box on my truck. I had to get into a truck, drive the truck, get to the spot, go back into the truck, pick up the box, bring the box to the person, deliver the box. Thank you. I was a delivery boy. I could not say, do you like the box? Is it heavy enough for you? Do you like the contents in the box? Do you want me to change the box for you? Is that something you know? No, I just deliver the box. I'm a delivery boy. You know what we do with the Bible? We deliver the Bible. We don't say, oh, do you like that there? Is that a good verse for you? Do you want, you want me to change that? For, who are we to change what God wrote? Who are we to edit what he said? The gall of people. To get into the word and say, you know, yeah, that word says that, but that's really not the word. It's something else. It means something totally different. We don't edit God's word. We deliver God's word. And there are certain truths that are non-negotiable. Are you ready for this? The deity of Christ, who Jesus is, that's non-negotiable. That's been delivered down to us. We can't change that. His sinless life, non-negotiable. Salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, is non-negotiable. We can't say, oh, you believe faith and salvation is this and I believe salvation is this and we both get along. No, it's non-negotiable. God delivered it. We're just delivery boys. The difference between a man and a woman is non-negotiable. In fact, you know, Time Magazine did a big, big survey on that years ago before all this stuff came out. And they did a survey about the difference between men and women. Are you ready for this? You know, what their, you know what their conclusion was after surveying all these people? They said, guess what? They're different. Isn't that amazing? We're different. Praise God. We're made that way. Heaven and hell. Non-negotiable. I don't get to choose what the Bible says about heaven. I don't get to choose what the Bible says about hell. Abortion. Non-negotiable. Marriage between a man and a woman, non-negotiable. God said it. He wrote it. I deliver it. He says, here's what I want you to do. I am agonizing with you that you earnestly contend for the faith. Now, here's where we miss it. We say, well, how do we contend for some of these things? And some believers with good hearts, they try to contend for these by holding up picket signs. And getting in front of people and saying, you got to believe in this. you got to believe in this. No one's going to change doing that. That's not how we contend for the faith. You ready for this? We contend for, for, for the faith by believing in it, by upholding and supporting churches that preach it, and by, are you ready for it? Living it. Living it. If we believe that Jesus saves and changes lives, we will live that. If we don't, we won't. We contend. Listen to this. You know, right now we're contending for the faith. You say, how are you doing that? I'm just preaching the Bible. That's contending for the faith. It is knowing what we believe and living what we believe. 
I'll never forget when, when somebody came here and they were having an issue and then they, they changed their doctrine and, and they had a good friend in the church and I said to the good friend, you know the Bible, go and help them with the Bible and help them understand. And you know his response was, I don't know. Sometimes we don't contend for some of these things because we just don't know what the Bible says. We need to know the Scriptures. Do you, know, do you know right now we're contending for the faith as they're teaching children? I thank God that, that downstairs they are teaching children the Bible. The Bible. That's what they need. The youth group. You know what they do on Wednesday nights? All they do is eat candy. And they play games. What kind of a youth group do we have? A great one. Oh, amen. Hey, look at that. So I'm a youth too. Unbelievable. You know what the youth are going through? The book of Acts. Praise God. He's contending for the faith by delivering the Bible. We deliver the Bible. We deliver the Bible in, in children's church. We deliver the Bible in youth group. We deliver the Bible on Wednesday nights. We deliver the Bible Sunday mornings. We deliver the Bible as we talk to our friends and we give them gospel tracts. We deliver the Bible. That's contending for the faith. He's saying, I'm coming alongside you and I'm begging that you do this. We are asleep at the wheel. And, and, and people are coming more and more and doing things. And they're, and they're changing churches and they're changing things that are going on. And look at this verse. This is beautiful. He says, this is it, verse 3. He says, I want you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down. Signed, sealed, and delivered. It's handed down to who? To pastors? Who does it say? All the saints. Uh-oh. Should I be contending for the faith? You better believe it. Who else should be contending for the faith? Just me and Karen. Right? The only one that says, uh, who? You, all of us. You're where you are. Everywhere you go. But the best way of doing it is living out the truth of the scriptures and showing them that you do have a common salvation in Jesus Christ. Watch this here. You say, Jeremy, why are you making such a big deal over this? Why couldn't you just talk about a common salvation and go on? Here's why. Because there's sneaks everywhere. Look at verse 4. This, this, this is amazing. He doesn't name them. I wish he would, but he doesn't. He just says there's certain persons. They don't need a name. They need a characteristic. And we're going to see who they are. Look what they do, verse 4. They've crept in unnoticed. I've yet to meet one with a, with a name tag. Have you? Hi, today I'm your false teacher. Nice to meet you. I'm false teacher Jeremy. Have you met one like that? I haven't met one like that. I've never met anyone with a website that says, by the way, warning, I'm a false teacher. Continue on my website. They don't do that. They come in unnoticed. He, this is what I love about Jude. He picks on lawyers here. Yeah, I hope there's no lawyers. Here. But he picks on a lawyer here. If you have a lawyer friend, use this verse. This is beautiful. Look at this. He, uses, he says, watch this. He uses the word crept in unnoticed. It's, a, it's an interesting Greek word. It's used in extra biblical Greek here of lawyers that would go into courtrooms, sneak their ways in the courtrooms, and then say things to, 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 to change the minds of the people and to get the wrong verdict. Here's what these people do. They're sneaks. 
They come in and they sit next to us and sing. And they're very nice people. And you say, wow, this guy must be a Christian. Singing songs. Praising God with me. Maybe even send a few verses. And, and, and they go in and people are asleep at the wheel because we don't want to contend for the faith. We just want to, we want crowds. We want people. We don't want to cause anybody to get upset. So we don't want to say anything that may offend somebody. So they just sneak right in. They become members. They become teachers. They become pastors. Just sneaking right in. It's amazing. I remember when I got here to this church, one of the main Sunday school teachers didn't even believe in the literal hell. Snuck right in. Started to teach. Teaching our kids. God help us. They sneak in. They come in. You say, well, how do I recognize them? Verse 4 tells us. It's right there in the passage. But before he tells us this, notice this what he says. He says, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Now, don't miss this. Jude is saying, this does not surprise God. In fact, their condemnation is already marked out. If they do not change, they are headed to an eternal hell. Look at this. He says, beforehand in verse 4, they, they're, they're, they're marked out long before. God, God already knew that these people were going to come in and creep in and start teaching things. But they will, if they do not change, head to an eternal fire. You say, Jeremy, where do you get that? The end of verse 7. Look at those last few words. They're headed to the punishment of eternal what? Fire. They're going to an eternal fire. We don't get to choose whether or not we like that or not. God signed, sealed, and delivered it. They are marked out beforehand if they don't change. And what kind of people are they? Look at this verse. They are ungodly people. You know what that means? That means literally in the Greek without worship. They don't worship God. They don't fear God. They don't live in awe of God. They, they have no reverence for God. The very beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. But they're without worship. They're not worshiping the true God. They're worshiping themselves. These are ungodly people. It doesn't say they're not nice people. Don't miss this. Because sometimes we think of ungodly people as people that are really mean and hurtful. No, it doesn't say that. He just says that they don't have a reverence for God. And, and here's what they do. They do two main things. These are two main characteristics of what they do. We're going to see their conduct and their creed, what they believe here. Look at their conduct. These are ungodly people who don't worship God, who, who really don't serve God or fear God. Here's what they do. They turn. They change. They, they, they manipulate. They give it another meaning. Notice this verse. The grace of our God. Into what? Into a license to live in sexual immorality. Here's what he's saying here. 
They take the very grace of our God, the grace that saves us, the grace, the unmerited favor of God, the grace. We are saved by God's grace. And what does God's grace do? People think about it just unmerited favor and that's it. What is God's grace to us? Well, Tim mentioned it. Let's look at it again what grace, the grace of our Lord does. Turn with me to Titus. I want to show you this. Titus chapter 2. He quoted it from memory. These are wonderful verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Notice what the grace of God does. It says in verse 11, the grace of our God appears, bringing what? Salvation to all men. We know that God's grace saves us. It brings salvation to all men. But look what it does in verse 12. It's a beautiful verse instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live what? Sensibly, righteously, and what? Godly in this present age. Do you know what grace does? Grace teaches us to turn from sin, to no longer live in sin, and to live for God. How dare these people say that God's grace is a license for us to live as we want. This, this, is, this is a person who says, you know what? I don't need to marry that person. Why marry him? I could just live with them. That's fine. I'll live with them. I'm under God's grace. That's the person entrenched in pornography and, 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 and watching pornography all the time and says, so what? I don't need to be faithful to my spouse. I'm under God's grace. They turn God's grace into something that it never was and never will be. Because God's grace not only empowers us, but teaches us to live right with God. And they miss it. It's the person that says, okay, same-sex marriages are right, we're under grace. They miss grace. They turn grace into doing what they want and the living in the immorality that they want. And then notice this next thing here in verse 4. And this is how you can identify them. They deny our only who? Say that word. Master. He's the master. He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one in charge of our lives. He's the one that decides what's right and wrong, not me. He's the one that tells me what I am going to do with my life. I don't get to decide that. He decides that. He decides my path. He decides my life. He decides everything because he is the master. It is my job to submit to the master. And what they do is they deny our only master and Lord. Here's what these people say. They say, oh, Jesus is my Savior. He's my Savior. But He's not my Lord. And let me tell you something. We cannot separate the two. Nobody can say, oh, He's my Savior, but He's not my Lord. He is Savior and He is Lord. And here's what's amazing. Even the people that don't believe that one day will bow down before him and call him Lord. 
not Savior, because they're not His Savior. Lord. We will bow down and call Him Lord. So here's what I tell people. Why wait till then? Let's do it now. They deny the very despot. They deny the very Lord. They deny Jesus Christ. They deny all that He is. Four titles there in verse 4. Isn't that beautiful? Four different titles of our Lord. He's the Master. He's the Lord. He's Jesus, the Messiah. He is Christ, the Anointed One. All there. And they deny that. We live in a world right now where people are saying this. That's your interpretation of the Bible. That's what you think. And here's our response to that. I'm just a FedEx driver. Ex-FedEx. I just deliver the goods. I'm just here telling you what the Bible says. I didn't write it. I can't edit it. And I don't want to manipulate it. These are the truths of the scriptures. And one day, we will bow down before the Lord. Are you willing to do that now? See, the best way that we can ever defend it is by living it. This last couple of weeks, I was able to go back on the sidelines again with the baseball team. And one of the players was really, really upset about something that was going on in another person's life. And he looked at me and here's what he said. He said, that guy's smoking weed all the time and doing drugs. And he goes like this to me. And he calls himself a Christian. What was he looking at? He was looking at his lives, life. See, they're watching us. And these people are watching us. And the best way that we can earnestly contend for what is right is by living what is right. It is by showing them what a saved person looks like by his grace. It is by living in fear of God, in reverence and awe. It's by acknowledging he is our master is by submitting to him. When we do that, the world notices. So I get on my knees and I beg you, contend for what it says here. Let's pray. Father, sometimes people look at these verses and they grab a picket sign and they're out there yelling and screaming at people. But that's not how we contend for the faith. We contend for the faith by knowing what your word says and living it. And sharing it with others in love. We have no right to change what you wrote. We have no right to edit the things that we don't like and take them out of the Bible. You've delivered them to us, to all of us. So help us, Father, to earnestly contend for them. God, we live in a world that the classrooms are filled with false theology. We live in a world where 
You can't even go to work without them making you sign pieces of paper that you believe in certain kind of marriages and different things. We, we live in a world where social media will block you if you mention anything that is the truth about your word. So Lord, help us to not back down, but help us to be in that wrestling match. And help us by your power and by your grace to disagree without being disagreeable. To have a heart of a servant who contends with humility. Understanding that you are the one that grants repentance. You are the one that changes lives. We are just delivery people. We deliver the goods. So God, help us to be faithful in that. Lord, I pray for each one here. I don't know their hearts. Maybe some here have crept in. They still don't know you. They've denied that Jesus is Savior and Lord. That right now in their hearts, they would confess that Christ is Lord. That they would believe that he died for their sins, was buried and rose again. That right now in their hearts, they would say, come and save me. Because you will. God, I pray for those who have been silent. Father, that you would give us a heart now to learn your word all the more. And a heart to stand for what is right. God, help us. We need you, Lord. We thank you so much for your wonderful word. And we pray that you get the glory for it. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.